We are four weeks into our series on Revelation, um, which I hope you're enjoying. Uh, and uh, today we're going to be looking at chapter 5. Just a quick recap on last week. It's really important because 4 and 5 really, in many ways, there's the divide because of the chapter number. But I guess in many ways it's one, it's one scene, really, what's happening. And John is taken up, and uh, the Apostle John is taken up and given this incredible vision of the throne room. This vision of what it's like in the throne room of God. And um, I think probably the main, the main keeper from last week for many of us is this, is this utter, this sense of utter sovereignty, peace and calm in the presence of God in the middle of chaos, turmoil, in the middle of all kinds of things going on that seem out of control. God is totally sovereign. It's so important that we, that we get that. It's a huge one. And um, Dan obviously, Dan said last week, um, four's about God reigns. Chapter 5 is about Jesus wins, which was a real relief because I didn't know what it was about. So thanks, Dan. Uh, it's brilliant. But also it's kind of spoiled the surprise a bit. But nevertheless, that's all right. Uh, I love you, Dan, and you're on PA, so I really love you. Um, so if we're going to read the chapter 5 now, uh, and hopefully the scripture should uh, come up here. Brilliant. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth and then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Father, thank you for this amazing uh, scripture, this passage that we get the privilege of being able to dig into today. I pray that you, by your spirit, would guide us through it, Lord. Do pray for that. We have a real sense of being guided through, Lord, that we might uh, really find the sweet, the sweet honey, Lord, the, the rich stuff. Lord, your words are like honeycomb. And I pray you'd help us really get, to the, really get to the rich things you want to deposit in our hearts today. I pray for strength for all of us to preach and to listen and to receive and to hear what you're saying uh, above the clamor. We want to hear your voice freshly, Lord, through the scriptures. Amen. Amen. So uh, in chapter 4, he, 
John has seen the figure on the throne and is amazed by this mysterious, eternal God. And you've got these creatures, these four living creatures that probably in some way or another seem to represent creation, um, the nature. You've got the 24 elders who, uh, it seems pretty sure, represent the, the full number of God's people, Old Covenant and New Covenant. The 12 and the 12 is probably what's going on there. And you've got this glorious uh, song that's being sung, Holy, Holy. We read a similar song in Isaiah and we realize this has been going on for centuries and they never tire before his presence, of proclaiming his holiness, of proclaiming his worthiness. He is worthy um, because he created all things and by his will they continue to exist. That's an amazing thought. It's not, just that he, it's not just that he created all things, but by his will they continue to exist. Wow. And you're sitting here like me and you've got breath in your lungs and you realise I continue to exist by his will. It's an extraordinarily humbling thing to get our heads around. Um, but in chapter 5 here, then suddenly there's this zoom in. John zooms in, in on this figure on the throne who in his right hand um, has a scroll written on the back and sealed and the front sealed with seven seals. This is what we are now drawing attention to. There is this moment where there is this scroll and then there's this conversation between various beings in the room and John around who's worthy to open it. I think probably the most, surpri- the most surprising element or, or maybe the question that we would most naturally ask is why doesn't the one on the throne open it? We've just heard over chapter 4 how worthy he is. So why doesn't he open it? It's a bit of a conundrum. It becomes, we'll see what it, why it is as we go through the passage. But I think that's probably the most natural question to ask first of all. Why doesn't he open it? He's in charge. Surely he's worthy. So why doesn't he do that? Well, keep that question in your mind. The next question is this. What is it? What is this scroll? It's got writing on both sides, which seems to sort of speak of it. It's, uh, there's a lot to be said and a lot to be done. There's a, there's a lot in it. It's not just one side, it's two-sided. That could, it could give us that idea. Um, and the question can be answered. It, it represents God's purposes for creation contained in words. Now, that's not as strange as it might sound. Remember, let there be light. Okay? So God's purposes is for creation. We read in Genesis 1 and 2, he speaks things into being. And so the words bring about the, the, um, the actual releasing of the thing that's in the heart of God. So what is in the will and purpose of God is, is, is revealed in these words for his creation. That's what's in the scroll. And that's why it's such a huge deal as to who's going to open it. That's why it matters so much. Unless someone worthy is found to open the scroll, we are stuck. If, there's, if there is no one, then we really are stuck. The atheist's conclusion becomes true in a sense. That there is no purpose. That there is no meaning in it all. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the way the Bible sums up that approach to life. It's like, well, do you know what? Probably, ultimately, there's probably no meaning. Probably nothing beyond the grave. So let's just kind of uh, enjoy the passing pleasures as much as possible. Um, because tomorrow we die, and that's it. It's all over. That's that phrase the Bible uses to sum up that philosophy of life. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Just um, excess. Have all that you can. Because it's not really going anywhere. If this is life, then, like John, weep and weep loudly. (laughs) If this is life, with all its passing pleasures, still weep and weep loudly. Weep because there is no such thing as love. There's no such thing as love. This thing we call love that we look for as a kind of transcendent 
meaning above all else. There is no such thing. It is a construct of our mixture, probably of our physical makeup, social engineering and the like. It's probably to do with somehow survival of the fittest. It kind of feeds into that. That's all that there is. Weep, because there is no love. Weep because there's no purpose. Weep because there's no meaning. Weep because you are nothing and you mean nothing. That's, that is exactly where it goes. Weep because you are nothing. You are, a, you are simply a, a random collection of atoms. That's it. There's nothing beyond that. You mean nothing beyond that. Your pain means nothing. Your joy means nothing. Your awe means nothing. Weep and weep loudly. And when you're done weeping, it's no better. Okay? When you're done weeping, there's no comfort. It's still exactly as it is. When you have wept, even that was meaningless. No one has kept or treasured your tears in a bottle, as it says God does. No one has done that. No one cares, and if they do, they're foolish. Because it doesn't mean anything. Your sadness is nothing. This is why John weeps. Life in all of its brokenness, pressure, difficulty, in all of its splendor, beauty and majesty, means nothing. It's a tough pill to swallow. Back to my first question. Why doesn't the one who sits on the throne open the scroll? Here's why. Because from the beginning of creation, he has ordained that he will work out his purposes through mankind. That's why. He's utterly worthy to open it. But he has ordained in his sovereignty that he will work out his purposes through mankind. You see, originally there was Adam and there was Eve. And Adam was the representative head of humanity, which is why the sin that they conspired in together leads to the whole ruin and the falling from glory of the human race. Because God operates through the idea of a representative head. It was Adam then and he blew it. Uh, but it has always been God's decree to work through mankind. That is why he himself on the throne, the father, doesn't open the scroll. If you don't realise that, then a lot of what happens in the Bible doesn't make a lot of sense. People often say, why doesn't God just step in? He's looking for a man. He's looking for a man. And no one is worthy. No one worthy is found in heaven. So no great person that's ever lived on earth, no great person, when this vision was received, that was still alive on the earth, under the earth, those great ones that have died and are now held in death and Hades, none of them are found worthy and so John begins to weep loudly that's the situation I need to feel the strength of emotion of it John is facing futility he's, he's gazing over the precipice of nothingness he's gazing over the precipice of a, of a life that really is just a, a, a cyclical going round with no author no one behind it working out purpose none of that and he's and he just absolutely weeps he's distraught by what he's seeing well, praise God for verse 5. <laughs> One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I love this wonderful idea here. Um, the weeping of despair is stayed by one look at Jesus. You can come more often. Uh, <laughs> Weep no more. Behold. It's not just pull yourself together. 
It's not just, come on, get a hold of yourself. It's not just, come on, this is all a bit overly emotional. It's none of that. Weep no more. Behold. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. Has conquered. This wonderful chapter in, in Revelation is all about Jesus. The weeping of hopelessness, the weeping of emptiness, the weeping of futility has no place when we look at Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that there is not weeping in this age. There is. But the weeping of despair, the weeping of hopelessness, the weeping of futility has no place when you know Jesus. It just has no place at all. We know there are seasons of sadness. We know there are times where we are laid low through whatever reason. Circumstance, our own shortcomings, absolutely. And whereas there were seasons where it's utterly appropriate to mourn your sin and mourn the devastation you see around you and let that fuel your prayers. Yes, but the weeping of despair, hopelessness and futility should be utterly foreign to the believer. Because everything that happens, he is behind. And everything that happens, somehow he is working out his purposes through. Somehow. I'm not saying that everything is his perfect will in that sense, but what I am saying is he is sovereign over every circumstance in the planet, in the nations, in your life. Absolutely. And has within himself the wisdom to make everything that happens redemptive. I love that. It means that he has within his power and his wisdom to work everything together, not just for his glory, but for our good, for the good of those who love him. Extraordinary. How? Well, because one has been found who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Wow. So the, 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 dark, the dark shadows of hopelessness and that just that sense of it's all gone, I've lost it all. No, they are, they are blown away. They are blown away by the word of God, Jesus Christ. He, he, no. His desire is that the, the radiance of his glory shines into your heart and that there is brightness. Now, this is extraordinary because we are told that he is a lion and he's a lamb. It's the same figure, but it's a lion and it's a lamb. It's Jesus. This is pictorial uh, imagery to help us understand who he is. The whole line of Judah thing, you're probably familiar with it. It's not just Christians that like the phrase, Rastafarians like the phrase, they use it of Haile Selassie, and there may well be others who, who, who enjoy the phrase too. It comes from the latter chapters of Genesis, where Jacob gathers his sons, the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes, and he prophesies over his son Judah and blesses him, and he promises that the scepter, which is representative of authority and kingdom, will never depart from Judah. And he also prophesies that he's like a lion. And so the lion of Judah is this lion-like king that comes promised by God right from ancient history and right through and Jesus fulfills. This is, this is, this, that's the idea with that, in case you wonder. I think it's Genesis 49. But it's also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's a beautiful thing. And if you've only got the lion, well, <laughs> I don't know about you. If he's just the lion, then I'm nervous. If he's just the lamb... I'm complacent. But he is the lion and he is the lamb. And he's a whole lot more as well. But he is these things and holds together in his heart this tenderness, this compassion, this gentleness. Don't you love the fact that he remembers we're dust? He knows how to deal with us. And as long as we, just, as long as we are sort of before him in that sense and trusting that he will be gentle, it's a beautiful thing when you trust that he will deal gently with you. It's a wonderful thing. It's, in some ways, it's one of the pillars of faith that you trust that God, through Jesus Christ, will deal, deal tenderly with you. 
But he's also the lion. He's not domesticated. He's not politically correct. He isn't. He is who he is and he reveals himself for who he is and it is not shaped or affected by trends or fashions or cultures. No, he is who he is and he has revealed it and, um, and we are really left to deal with who he is. It's a beautiful thing and so good for our souls. But he's the lion and he is the lamb. He's the promised king and he's the wounded, promised wounded sacrifice. This is Jesus. Behold him. Behold him and weep no more. And then there's this moment, this shocking moment where he comes and he takes the scroll. This is very, very shocking. It would be amazing enough if we're told the one on the throne handed the scroll to him. What did it say? He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This is extraordinary. There are probably four people in my life who would take things out of my hand. (laughs) Davina, and then the three children, Daisy, Levi, and Melody. Those are probably the only four on the planet that aside from the occasional prank or whatever, or being mugged, right? <laughs> London, illustration, relevant, right? They're, they're the only ones. So Davina, and she would probably say something like, you know, I just need that darling. There would be something that, you know, there would be something that would be said with it. Normally she'd probably say, can I just have that? But I can foresee instances where she just, and it would be cool. But the kids, it's a whole different story. This thing gets swiped from my hand so regularly, and the phone... And anything good and exciting and colourful and sweet, it's gone. And uh, it's an extraordinary thing. But what does it speak of? It speaks of confidence. It speaks of security. It speaks of knowing who they are. This Jesus knows who he is. He knows who he is. He is the Lamb of God. He is the divine Son of God, co-eternal, co-equal with Father and Spirit. He is the one who has lived forever and ever in wonderful, glorious, loving community with Father and Spirit. He's the Son of God. He knows his absolute, secure standing before the Father. And he comes and he takes a scroll. He knows what's been promised him, that the Father's promised him the nations of the world. He knows that. He knows that all things are his inheritance and his desire is to share his inheritance with his new brothers and sisters. Wow! It's beautiful. So he comes and he takes this scroll. And in this moment of taking the scroll, it's one thing to say there's one, but then in the moment where suddenly someone might approach the throne, bear in mind the seraphim are covering their eyes. That, you know, they're, they're scary enough. They won't even look on, on him. You know, you've got the elders that just constantly bow and worship him the whole time. And you don't approach the one on the throne. You worship him. Jesus, the, the lion, the lamb, approaches and takes the scroll And everything just kicks off. Everything goes absolutely... It's a holy commotion that we see. It's extraordinary. Only this one. There is one who is worthy to take the scroll. And it's only this one. There's no other self-proclaimed prophet or even true prophet that's ever lived... That can come and take the scroll. There's no other sage, guru, teacher that can come and take the scroll. Think of the most impressive person, you know, the person who when they they enter the room, the whole atmosphere changes because of their sheer presence. No chance of taking the scroll. None is found. None is found. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Moses, not Elijah. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And when he takes it, Wow. 
It is amazing. What a commotion. First we see the creatures and the elders fall before the lamb with harp representing praise and bowl representing our prayers. They all drop down before the throne. And then we hear a new song in heaven. Thank God for the new songs we have here. But when there's a new song in heaven, something extraordinary has happened. When this holy, holy, holy song that has gone on for centuries suddenly has a new verse or a new song itself even, it is an amazing moment. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. I mean it's just, it's like what have we done in that song? Where, please show me, show me your activity in that song. Show me, show me. What, no, worthy are you. You were slain by your blood. You ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth by his grace. By his glorious activity. He has done it. He has done it. The blood of Jesus ransoms us from our sins. It's an amazing, an amazing moment. Then we hear of myriads, thousands upon thousands of angels bringing an anthem of their own. Is it an an extra verse? I don't know. But it's ascribing the same kind of worth to the Lamb that was ascribed to him who sits on the throne. I mean... You want to get your head around that? Read Hebrews 1, where we see the Father himself being quote, quoting to the angels to worship the Son. It's absolutely appropriate to worship Jesus. It's completely appropriate. Thomas bowed down in John chapter 20 and said, My Lord and my God. And he was never rebuked for it. After calming the storm, we're told in the boat, they bowed down and worshipped him and Jesus received it. Jesus is to be worshipped. And in fact, it honours and glorifies the Father when we bow the knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father loves it because he has established his king in Zion. So it all works together in wonderful, wonderful unison. Then every creature kicks in. So we've got the, we've got the elders and we've got the living creatures. Then we have myriads and thousands and thousands of angels. Then we have every Creature, we have the sperm whale and the dung beetle. We have the bison and the golden eagle, the great white shark and the sparrow, the the kangaroo and the swordfish. Everything at this point now just raises its voice in glory and honour and cries out to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. So chapter 4, it's him on the throne and then in this new song, it's the Lamb and then every creature brings this wonderful anthem together to say, him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be glory, be Sorry, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And then the four living creatures do what they do well. They say amen. And then, the, and then the elders, they bow down and worship again as we saw last week in the illustration. It's just like boom, boom, boom. Wow. What a picture. This is absolutely glorious. One has been found in whose hand the purposes of God will be released and worked out on the earth. I want you to hear that. This is really important. We're going to zoom in in some application now. You need to understand that one has been found who is worthy to release the purposes of God on the earth and now the purposes of God. And as we get into the next few chapters, we're going to see some things that may make us tremble, overwhelm us. You think, oh man, what this turmoil, this surgeons, this persecutions, there's all kinds of things that that go on. There's plagues. I mean, you, you name it. 
And the temptation can be that you look around and you think, what is going on? What is going on is that the purposes of God are being worked out in the earth. Partly in judgment, partly in redemption. Partly in God dealing with every power arrayed against him. He's the creator. He has the right to do that. He only ever goes for those who are bent on destroying his creation. There is nothing of malice in his wrath and fury. It's pure, holy and righteous. It's for the preservation of his creation. It's for the preservation. He loves. He delights in the work of his hands. He loves what he's made. He loves us. He loves us. And even through all the turmoil, we must remember and keep at the front of our mind this wonderful idea, this glorious truth, that this is the purposes of God being worked out. I want to help us to just understand, well, what, is, what do we do with this? Great. <laughs> but when I walk out of here, what do, I do, what do I do with it? The first thing I want to say is this. You know the keep calm thing has kind of had a bit of, it's kind of a big deal now, isn't it? Keep calm and eat cupcakes and all that, you know. Uh, there's a scripture that's similar, not the cupcakes bit. Uh, Psalm 46. It says this. It's very, it's very applicable. Very applicable. Because we are seeing things on our televisions and around about us that can, it can grip your heart sometimes with fear. Can. Sometimes you can just, I don't know what to do with this. Sometimes you can just feel overload. What do I, how do I pray? How do I pray about this? How can I give to that, 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 and that? And if I don't now text three pound there, she's, she's dead. That's hard to live with. That's hard to live with. What do we do? How do we, how do we deal with this? Well, Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Now listen to this. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Wow. That's an extraordinary thing to say. <laughs> Imagine as I'm speaking now the building starts to rattle and, and some of the lights begin to start, you know, sort of the, the cords holding the lights begin to snap and break and, and, and things begin to rip and tear. Uh, I'm not promoting that we carry on sitting here and singing songs. But I'm just saying that is what this is talking about. We will not fear though the earth gives way. Of course in the moment you do what you have to do. It's just natural. But my heart will not be come under the government of that. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. There it is. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. So a, a church, the church, which has Jesus Christ at its center, which has, which has the one who says, anyone who's seen me, they've seen the Father, which builds to that vision, will not be moved. Even when there are rumblings and shakings, we will not be moved. Um, because he is in the midst of us. And there is this pr promise here that God will help her when morning dawns. There is help. And then later on, be still and know that I am God. That word means relax. Relax. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Providing that's your deepest heart's cry to see him exalted, you'll take great comfort from that. Of course, it's difficult if, you're, if your deepest heart's cry is just for things to be easy. You can take little comfort from a promise like that. Because things won't always be easy. But he will be exalted in the earth. 
And part of God's grace to us is to help us to line up with that so that we are about the real thing. We're about the thing that is really, really of ultimate importance, the glory of God in the nations. So the trouble does not equal chaos, all right? So relax. Be still. I'm not saying don't engage. I'm not saying don't give. I'm not, I, we should be on the front lines. I mean, the, one of the m- most powerful testimonies of early Christians in um, ancient history was that they stuck around when the plagues came. They stuck around and looked after those who, naturally speaking, they'd have no reason to care for. And it was noted by the Roman emperor. It was, they, it was noted. They, they love even those that aren't their own. Everyone else is panicking and freaking out. It was, so we had to absolutely engage. But it's coming out of rest. We work out of rest. As believers, we don't, we don't rest. We don't um, rest from work. That should not. If, if resting from work is kind of the rhythm of your life, God ask the Lord to help them. Maybe get some advice and stuff because working from a place of rest is how He wants us to be. And we all need to learn how to do that. It takes time. But so keep calm. Third, 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 second, I would just say this: beware of a kind of lack of trust, a lack of deep trust. That causes you to, to, to just start searching, even subtly. I know this from my own experience. It's so subtle. But you just start kind of searching for a utopia in this age. You start searching for something, whether it's a physical utopia. What I mean is this. Um, just an observation on our culture is that the, the quest for body beautiful is, is extraordinarily powerful. And has a huge amount of um, currency in our culture. It's not just women. It's hugely, hugely powerful. Um, and the Bible says, Bible says something about exercise. It says a positive thing. It says this. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value. Okay? It's good. It's really good. It's of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. But interestingly, the word used is the same. Train yourself for godliness, bodily exercise. That word exercise, train, it's exactly the same Greek word where we get our word gymnasium from. Um, and, uh, you know, I would just say this. I, I know the demographic of our church means that most people are very young and in their 20s. I'm probably in my second half. Average life expectancy, I think, is 80 now for guys or something like that. So I'm in my second half. And um, the outer man is wasting away. Still trying to look after it and all of that, yep, but it's wasting away. My inner man is being renewed day by day. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So I know where I'm going to invest primarily. I'm going to, absolutely, yeah, I want to keep in good shape so I can serve the Lord well, yes, yes. But I know where I'm investing primarily in godliness because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. Yeah, it's really important that we get that, that we don't look for physical utopia. No matter how much of the things you use, uh, the outer man's wasting away, creams and the like. Make your face lift, you know. I've forgotten what it's called. And obviously there's a whole load of other stuff that's um, even more. But anyway, also don't look for a social utopia or kind of like a idolising relationships. I love relationships. I love family, friends, fellowship. I really do. And yet there's... You know, I imagine the new heavens and the new earth, and the way we will relate to each other, there will just be, there's no darkness, no shadow, there's nothing hidden, there's no fear, there's no insecurity, there's no second guessing, there's no manipulation, there's no nonsense. There's no nonsense, right? I don't walk into a room and start thinking, oh, will they accept me, or this, that, or whatever your thing is. There's none of that. It's all gone. Just light. So the way that we will relate will just be pure light. 
No hiding, no, no shame, no fear. Just pure, just want connection relationally. Like we know in our, something in our hearts, we know, we long for it. And no matter how good things get in this age, and I tell you, I absolutely believe in wonderful, strong, vibrant, uh, new covenant relationships that through Jesus Christ there is restoration and reconciliation, yes. And yet, there is that and yet. I mustn't get into a kind of an idolizing kind of thing. No, you know, there's always things. We just have to be careful, help one another, be aware of things, sometimes yeah, be sensitive, because there's just... There's a lot of potential for, you know, things to be taken certain ways. You just need wisdom. But we recognise, okay, I can do that. That's what the age is. And then the other thing I would say is, um, not looking for an emotional utopia, which basically means that you end up just escaping pressure all the time. You just develop a kind of a, a kind of a, a way of living life, which is just looking to escape pressure the whole time. Um, there are there are there are pressures that we that we that are negative pressures, unhealthy pressures that we need, to, by God's grace, to learn how to walk out from. There are others that God allows and permits and ordains, because the Bible says that the kingdom of God comes through much pressure, it squeezes you, squeezes out the impurity, and then your character grows. You become more like Jesus. It's not always the easiest thing in the world, but it's so fruitful, so glorious, and we've got to let Him do that. And just recognise there is a bit of that, that goes on in this age. So let's not do that because otherwise you end up making decisions that are wrongly founded. The foundation's wrong, and then and then you can end up collapsing with the very things you've brought, you've, you've built on. Do you know what I mean? You can end up, oh, you know, I didn't think it was going to be like this. The Christian life is a life of deep, deep trust. Deep, I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you for my health. I'm trusting you for my relationships. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting, I'm trusting you that I'll, that I'll, as I just walk closely with you, there will be amazing fruit. I could never really dream of. And then I think um, the, the final thing to say is this whole idea of faith and victory. The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So, so there's a victory here that we see Jesus has won. That's why he's worthy to break open the seals. He's conquered, he's overcome. Right? So there's something about overcoming in Christ, through Christ, learning through him to overcome that is key to our victory. That is key to winning, that we win through. And sometimes, you know, if you read Hebrews 11, it's an interesting chapter, because you can pick and choose. By faith we want to conquer kingdoms and shut the mouths of lions. Yeah, absolutely. It says that. It also says others by faith were sawn in two. <laughs> read the chapter. So is it, Christian victory is, 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 has a rich expression. And it's mysterious. You know, you read it in the book of Acts. You read James gets beheaded. And then, and then everyone's pleased, so Herod arrests Peter, and then an angel comes and he's rescued. Hold on a minute. <laughs> James had unbelief. No, you are reading into the text. You are reading into the text. John the Baptist, was he in the, was he in the will of God? <laughs> we, came, we went on holiday once and came across one of those children's Bibles, and my kid's flicking through, and he had John the Baptist's Climax in it. Horrific. Head on a plate. Kids' Bible. Ah! <laughs> took, a bit of, took a bit of care and prayer to walk out of that one. You think, what was that? What, did he get it wrong? No. In fact, actually, in prison, he did begin to doubt and he sent people to Jesus. Are you the one? Before he was so confident, here, behold the Lamb of God, and now he's going, Are you the one? Jesus said, yeah, Yes, I'm the one. Blessed are those who don't stumble on account of me. I know I'm surprising. <laughs> I might not be what you expect. I might not do things in the way that you thought exactly it was going to work out, but it is me. It's all good. 
Okay, John goes through and is now glorified in heaven. You see, so faith, and, there's something about, so I believe you, Jesus, for victory, whatever that looks like. Whether it looks like not, 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 um, not letting go of my confession of Jesus. And whether it looks like absolute mighty breakthrough, such incredible, incredible exploits for God that books will be written and written for years to come of what you've done. You know, under the sovereign purpose of God, all those things can look like victory. But faith is the key. Deep, deep trust. I'm looking to you, Lord. I believe that this whole thing is under your hand. There is a calm sea in heaven and the Lamb of God has conquered. Amen? Amen, amen. I just want to finish just by speaking a word quickly to those of you that are amongst today that you, you, you may not be sure that you are trusted in Jesus with your whole heart. You know, it, it, for any number of reasons that could be, but there's something in your heart whereby you're not 100% sure that Jesus is your kind of refuge, your tower, that he's the one that you are, um, that you are trusting in. It could be Jesus and something else, or it could just be your upbringing, or it could just be some thoughts and ideas. It could be something clearly, totally... Um, Nothing to do with Jesus. Um, and I want to say that, 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 that I want to just read this uh, verse to you from Acts quickly, which is a very important verse for us to understand and, and, um, and be in awe of. Um, the apostles are preaching and say this This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, speaking to the Jewish leaders, the builders which had, rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that stone. You put it in first of all, and it determines the whole shape of the whole building. It's Jesus. Is the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And God has proved this by raising Jesus from the dead. He has proved that this is the one, this is his, this is his king that he has established by raising him from the dead. Jesus is alive today, which is why when you give your life to Jesus, he will come and live in you by the Holy Spirit. If Jesus was dead, that would be impossible. You'd be dead in your sins still. Because he has risen from the grave and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, you, you know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Jesus must be alive. And um, he, he wants to come make his home with you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he wants to make his home with you. He wants to be with you forever. Covenant with you, never to leave or forsake you. Promise to forgive all of your sins. Every misdemeanor, everything you've done that you're ashamed of, covered by the blood of Jesus. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So you can lift your head up high. I, I can lift my head up high, not because I'm, not because of my character, because I'm some great guy. I lift my head up high because I know that my sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. I am, you know, none of we are. He is worthy. 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 <laughs> and uh, and I will just want to say to those of you that have never never bowed the knee, you've never said worthy, you Jesus. Today, why not? The Bible says the day is the day of salvation. Now is the favourable time. God is, God is holding off final judgment that as many as possible may be saved. So please come to him. Please give your heart to him. Please call on his name. Um, he sees the heart. So if you call on his name and mean it and you just want to call him Lord, I tell you, he will come to you and save you. And you know, you'll know you've got new life in you. And then the next step is to be baptized. The Bible says that baptism is dying and being buried with Jesus and raised into newness of life. It's a powerful thing. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, um, powerful demonstration of what's happened to you in Jesus. Praise God. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much that all of us are on the same foundation and his name is Jesus. We are so grateful. We are so grateful that, Father, you are so amazed by your son and that then you give his righteousness to us as a gift. 
that we might be in your presence, that we might be qualified, that we might be closed, that we might be accepted in the beloved. It's incredible, Lord, that we, even now, those who have become sons by embracing the son, that we can draw near to your throne and know what it is to be close with you and call you Abba Father. What an incredible privilege that we can call the one who lives forever and ever Abba Father, the one by whom all things continue to exist. Abba Father, it is amazing. And I pray our hearts will be gripped with awe and wonder. Increasingly. Amen.